Our scripture this morning is from the uh, book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. And if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to follow along with me. If you don't, we'd love to send you home with one, and you can grab one off the tables in the vestibule as you leave. Again, Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days." And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of his salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Dana, uh, for that. It was beautiful. Um, would you uh, pray with me as we continue on together? Let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit to worship you, to behold you, to hear from you, to be formed and shaped by the truth of your word. And so, Lord, meet us in, in all of our, our doubts and fears And may we come to behold you, the one who is worthy of our praise. And so, Lord, may this time be honoring to you and edifying to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, A few few weeks ago, I I had the joy of having all of four of my children by myself. My wife, Megan, was out of town with some friends. And uh, and I survived, and so did they. That's what's most important. But but there was this moment where I was reading in the living room, and, and I was startled by this deafening silence uh, which if you, if you have kids, you know, like if you have four children playing in your home and it's dead silent, something has gone awry. And, and I got up to kind of investigate what was going on and I, my three girls came running to me and they wanted to show me something. And so they led me to the laundry room and I opened the door and I discovered the source of the calm and quiet. <laughs> That's my son. Now, I don't know what's worse, the fact that his sisters did this to him or the fact that his father left him, got his phone, and came back and took a photo of it. <laughs> I, will, I will let you decide. But, but the, the point of this is that the, the, the peace and calm that was in my home in that moment, it was fabricated. It wasn't real. It was, it was temporary because the, the loudness factor, namely my son Edmund, had been covered up with bandanas. The, the chaos would soon return. I knew that the peace and quiet was only temporary. And and I share that because in some ways, this is how we engage and enter the season of Christmas. We enter in in a way to try to distract ourselves from the pains and the troubles and the sorrows of life. We try to forget about them with things like joy and lights and tacky Christmas sweaters and sugar. 
lots and lots of sugar, and that's what we do. And any, any eggnog fans? Oh, this is just lovely. Yeah, there, there are eggnog fans, and then there are just terrible people, in my opinion. But anyway, we, we tend to distract ourselves with these things in hopes that we can kind of put the darkness aside, the things that trouble us, maybe we can forget about them. But in all of these attempts to try to blind ourselves from the darkness, whether it's through parties and presents, whether it's through Santa and snowmen, baking and Black Friday, all of these things to try to distract us, they are only temporary. After the gifts get opened and exchanged for store credit, uh, after our decorations are put back, after we return to the normal rhythms of life, we find ourselves in our minds singing that familiar tune by Simon and Garfunkel, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. We, we have returned that our attempts to cover up the darkness have actually not accomplished that. Now, I'm not trying to be this kind of Christmas curmudgeon and down us in this center of this season that is filled with joy, but rather, I believe by entering into and understanding the darkness, we actually find ways of magnifying our joy during this Advent season. And it's precisely the theme of the Song of Zechariah that we just heard read for us this morning. This Advent season, what we're doing is exploring the story of Jesus and his birth and his entrance into this world through the first songs of Christmas that are recorded for us in the opening chapters of the Gospel of Luke. And this morning, we come to the song of Zechariah. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. And in this song, we come to find as we meet together in our text in Luke 1, the one thing I want us to take away is this, is that there is only one way to push back the darkness. When we hear this first song of Christmas that is profound in many ways, the one thing I want us to take away is there's one way to push back the darkness. Now, I need to kind of set the context for this song because it's kind of, it's in two parts in the opening chapter of Luke. If you look back at the opening verses in verses 5 through 25, we're introduced to a man named Zechariah. Zechariah was a Jewish priest serving in the temple in Jerusalem, and Luke records for us that while he is serving in the temple, he is greeted by the angel Gabriel, the same angel who meets Mary. And in this time, the angel tells Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth, who are further along in years, that they will bear a son and they will name him John. But Zechariah responds to this with a little bit of, of disbelief. Look with me at verse 18. It says, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now, even though Zechariah is serving in the temple, he, he is a priest in the midst of the temple, he is filled with a reverent fear before the presence of this angel, and yet he still struggles to believe what this angel is telling him. So much so that the angel responds, and, and actually it's really interesting because sometimes when we read the Bible, we tend to look at the characters as if they have this kind of primitive proclivity towards the supernatural. And, and we have to understand that the belief in the supernatural is just as implausible for someone like Zechariah as it is for us today. And Zechariah, even seeing this angel, is struggling to believe the message he's telling him. And so in response to this, what does Gabriel say? Look at verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So basically, the angel says, like, oh, you doubt me? You, you want to know how God's going to do this? I'm going to give you nine months to think about it, essentially. That's what he tells Zechariah. But even in spite of Zechariah's doubt and skepticism, God still shows favor upon him by granting what he declared, that there would be a son, that they would give birth to a son and name him John. But what's interesting is that the name choice did not go over well in the community. Look with me at verses 59 and 61. 
As John is born, so you skip ahead a bit, in verse 59 we read, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother, Elizabeth, answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, but none of your relatives is called by this name. Now, the they there is referring to the community. So like the friends and family, they've come together. So even back then, people were annoyingly critical about baby names, which is just like when, when you hear a baby name, just, just say it's, that's wonderful. You know, like they're basically saying like, don't name him John. Like I went to school with a guy named John. He smells like hummus. Like don't name him John. <laughs> but Zechariah, still silent because of his doubt in what God had declared, he, he, he reassures the people, no, he, his son will indeed be named John. And that is what breaks his silence. And Zechariah chooses to break the silence by singing. But this song that Zechariah sings, we have to see the the context here. He is not just breaking nine months of his own silence. This song that Zechariah sings is breaking the 400 years of God's silence. Because you see, up until this point, there had been no prophet among the people of Israel. God had been silent. He'd removed his voice, so to speak, from his people. And for 400 years, the people of Israel lived and they buried their loved ones, wondering if God would ever speak and visit them again. And so this moment of Zechariah singing and proclaiming through the power of the Spirit is God breaking his silence after 400 years. That is why I believe to truly experience and enter into the season of Advent in all of the joy that it brings, we must do so not by bypassing darkness, but by entering right into it. That in order to understand the brightness of the light that Zechariah is singing about, we must lean into the darkness. For this song of light is born out of the shadow of death that every one of us lives within. And while it may sound strange during a sermon in the middle of Christmas, what the first thing I want us to see from our text is this, is that there is a darkness that destroys us. There is a darkness that destroys us. To see the fullness and to feel the warmth of the light that Zechariah is singing about, we have to learn how to sing his song backwards. And what I mean by that is we have to go to the end of Zechariah's song. Look with me at verses 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. You see, Christmas is the story of God's great mercy towards us, in meeting us in our brokenness, in removing our darkness by entering into the darkness with us. And he has come to not simply remedy us from a moral darkness or an existential darkness, but from the darkness of sin and death itself. The shadow of death that we all find ourselves living within, this is the darkness that the light of Jesus has come to deliver us from. And even though during Christmas we tend to try to downplay that, forget about it, we, we try to numb ourselves to our pains by filling our lives with light and joy, None of us can escape the fact that we inhabit a world and we inhabit a body that is filled with darkness. And even though, like I said, we try to distract ourselves, we have to understand to truly live into the light of Christmas, we have to understand the darkness that the light has come to shine into. And, and for many of us, like many of us here, like we, we don't have, that's not a struggle. Some of us very acutely feel the pains of loss of loved ones. We, we feel the fact that the world and ourselves, we are not the way we're supposed to be. 
So for some of us, the struggle isn't trying to lean into the darkness in order to understand the light. Some of us struggle to see, is there any light at all in the midst of our darkness? Now again, in some ways, this sounds like a total downer of a sermon, but I believe that this is an appropriate way for us to understand the goodness of the light of Christmas by leaning into the darkness. This does not mitigate or minimize our joy. In fact, I believe it magnifies it. Tish Warren, she she serves as an Anglican priest uh, in the United States. Uh, She's the author of a great book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. She recently wrote an opinion piece in the New York Times with this great title. It's Want to Get into the Christmas Spirit? Face the Darkness, which is great. I would would commend you to read it. She just wrote it recently. But listen to these very strangely wise words that Warren has for us. She says, to practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, Our deep, wordless desire for things to be made right and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. She goes on to say, Advent holds space for our grief and it reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, I love this, are not only wounded by evil, by the evil in the world, but are also wielders of it, contributing our own moments of unkindness or impatience or selfishness. Advent reminds us that joy is trivialized if we do not first intentionally acknowledge the pain and wreckage of the world. I think that is precisely what the Song of Zechariah is about. That if we are to enjoy and live into and embrace the light of what Christmas is about, we must have a very acute and clear understanding of the darkness that this light has come to shine into. And there is, there's only one way to push back the darkness. And it's not found in ignoring it, or minimizing it, or downplaying it, or or, uh, bypassing it. It is facing it head on. That's how it starts. And so so with that said, I think one way that we can enter into the season of Advent in a very meaningful way is by leaning into the practice of lament. If we want to find the joy of Christmas, I think it should begin with us leaning into lament. And I say this because I think part of the reason why so many of us so often find ourselves kind of down and feel this kind of lowly state during the holiday season is because we haven't practiced lament in any consistent way throughout our year. Sometimes we we feel forced to practice lament around the holidays because, and it feels really tough and almost unbearable, but perhaps it's because we haven't practiced lament year round. It's like going to the gym once a year, thinking that that's going to get you in shape, but no, you have to have a consistent rhythm of that. Lament gives us permission to bring our aches, our sorrows, our pains to God in real honesty, even in raw ways. In fact, recently, my my girls and I, we've been going through the New City Catechism, and one of the questions we were coming to recently is, what is prayer? And and the, the answer is very simple. What is prayer? Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. And what that means is that we don't just pour out what should be in us, we we pour out what is in us. And oftentimes that's pain, that's grief, that's heartache, it's anger, it's, it's anxiety. We are called to bring that to God. That's what it means to lament. And frankly, just we as a church and, and, and as Westerners in general, I don't think we're very good at this. We need to learn how to practice lament so that we might enjoy the light of Christmas. Theologian Soon Chan Ra, in his very painful but very helpful book, uh, it's called uh, The Prophetic Lament, he talks about the importance of bringing lament back into our regular practices. 
And he describes this important practice for the church. He says this, lament is honesty before God and each other. If something has truly been declared dead, there's no use in sugarcoating that reality. To hide from suffering and death would be an act of denial. And he gives this helpful illustration. If an individual would deny the reality of death during a funeral, friends would justifiably express concern over the mental health of that individual. In the same way, should we not be concerned over a church that lives in denial over the reality of death in our midst? Again, these are sobering words, but I think they are appropriate for us as we enter into the season of Advent because no doubt this room right now is filled with various emotions, heavy emotions, as we enter into this holiday season. And is it possible that why we feel so overwhelmed by it is that we haven't practiced lament, the practice and the habit of lament on a consistent basis? So church, do we have the ability to grieve with those who have lost loved ones? Are we able to cry out to God over injustices done to others? Do we have the capability to weep with those who weep? And not just those who are like us, but but those who live in different neighborhoods than us, those who come from different tax brackets, who come from different ethnic backgrounds. Do we have the ability to feel what they, they feel? Do we have the ability to say what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse three, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Do we have this ability to uniquely empathize with those who are suffering and hurting? And I think this is what the practice of lament can do for us. Now again, I know it may sound odd, but I think a powerful way to get into the Christmas spirit, so to speak, is through the practice and the pathway of lament. It helps us understand the beauty and the brightness of the light that has come into our life when we understand and routinely practice this habit of lamenting over over sin, over death, over evil and injustice, both the things that we see outside of us, but also the things that we see inside of us, to allow our hearts to be broken for the things that break God's heart. I think then and only then are we able to see the beauty and the brightness of what I believe Zechariah is telling us also in his song, of the light that has come to rescue us. Yes, there is a a darkness that destroys us, but the other part of Zechariah's song is that there is a light that rescues us. You see, Zechariah is singing his song with, with great exultation. There's great joy in what he's declaring because, precisely because he has been in this great exile, so to speak, he and his people for 400 years, living in, in God's silence, wondering is he ever gonna speak and ever going to dwell with us again? But that silence is broken in this song that Zechariah declares. Look with me at verses 67 and 68. The opening of this song says, and his father, referring to Zechariah, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. The light of God's rescue shines brightly precisely because it shines out of and onto the darkness of our world. When we understand the the darkness that we inhabit in this world, the light shines even brighter. Let, let Let me illustrate it this way. My guess is all of us can probably see the star in this picture. I think I have a little picture here. Can everybody see the star? You can see it. It's faint, right? There, there's somewhat a bit of a contrast, very, very subtle contrast, but you can see the star shining through, but not nearly as clearly as you can see this star. 
It's different, right? The same white star is shining through. In, in, in the first example, we, we struggle to see the star. It, it, the contrast is too subtle, but, but in the, like, it, you, you really struggle to see it. But the second star, you struggle to not see it. You can't help but see it. Why? Because this star is shining brilliantly. The contrast is so stark precisely because of the darkness that this star is shining out of. In the same way, the light of God's rescue, seen in the dawn of Jesus entering our world, shines brightly in our lives when we understand the darkness we have been rescued from. God's light of rescue looms large in our hearts when we understand the dark world we inhabit. This is why Christmas is so profound and powerful. It's more than just happy birthday Jesus. Christmas is the story and the time when we remember that yes, there is a darkness in us and around us, but there is also a light that has come to push back that darkness. And this is the story we remind ourselves of. It is a time to place ourselves back in the story, to tell ourselves that God is not silent, that he does speak, that he has come to dwell with his people again and never leave them, amen? That's the good news of Christmas. We don't sit in this 400-year period of silence anymore. The light has shone through into our dark lives. It's why Zechariah, he uses this word twice, the word visit, in his song to describe God's presence with his people. And it's a unique word. It's often used in the Old Testament to describe God dwelling with his people. Look with me at verses 68 and 78. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And then again in verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Now, that word may not sound all that profound, like the word visit, like that seems very simple and basic. In fact, I have a very negative connotation with the word visit, because growing up, like when I would be at church with my mom, after church, I'd be waiting for her to take us home, and I'd say, hey, mom, are we ready to go? And she'd say, no, I'm going to stay back, and I'm going to visit with people. I hated visiting. Visiting is terrible. It meant I can't go home. But this word that Zechariah is using is communicating something beautiful about the compassionate nature of God. This word, it, it, it's often translated to describe a doctor making a house call visit to someone who is sick. The picture of this word is communicating that someone has come and is examining and has come close to understand and observe what someone is going through. This is how God has come to visit and dwell with his people. Not from on high, lofty, and beyond us, but he has come near to us to sympathize and understand with us to enter into the darkness with us. This is the light that Zechariah is singing of. And this very light that he is singing of is the same light that the prophet Isaiah declared in his prophecy 700 years before the birth of Jesus. In Isaiah, we read these words in chapter nine, verse two and six. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. But then down in verse six, for to us, this is how this light will come forth. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The light that Isaiah spoke of 700 years before the birth and the entrance of this light into the world is the light of God who, that would visit his people and never leave them again, that in his tender mercy he would come and not just be present with them, but he would redeem them and forgive them. It is this light that Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, would prepare the way for, 
And Zechariah points to this in his song in verses 76 and 77. Look with me there. Referring to John the Baptist, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. And what will you do? Well, you will give the knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. This is what John the Baptist has come to prepare the way for. Zechariah is singing and rejoicing because finally the light has come, and that light has a name, and it is Jesus. That's what we celebrate and remember this time of year. For God in his tender mercy has not left us in silence, but he has come to speak definitively to us through his son and through his word. He has come to redeem us. He has come to push back the darkness by becoming our darkness with us. And so friends, when we understand the light of Jesus in light and the contrast of our darkness, the thing I want to invite all of us to respond to is this, is that we should all live in the light. When we understand how bright this light is and how it shines in our dark lives, in our dark world, how can we not respond but live in the light? And so if you're a follower of Jesus, this song of Advent is calling you to walk in the light of Jesus, to not simply believe that there is a light, to give intellectual assent to the light, but to now walk in the light, that you are now to take every step, think every thought, speak every word, love every person, and serve every need in the light of Jesus, that this is what it means, and to do so in his presence before him. It is not just to believe it and to have knowledge of it, but to radically transform your life that everything is now lived for him and before him, which is why Zechariah says in verses 74 and 75 that this redemption, that God's light has come not just to rescue us from something, but to rescue us for something. Zechariah says that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him, referring to God, without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. To believe in the light of Jesus is to not simply admit that there is a light, but to now live in light of that truth, no pun intended. To be rescued, to be forgiven, to be redeemed means that we have not just been saved from something, condemnation, death, and judgment, although that is true, but we've been saved for something. We've been brought into the kingdom of his dearly beloved son, and we are now called to be ambassadors of this light in a dark world. And so if you are in Jesus Christ, you are called, you are summoned in grace to walk in the light in holiness, meaning to be beautifully distinct from the dark world we live in, but also to live in righteousness, meaning that you are to now live with, with an understanding that your ethic and your understanding of the good life is aligned with Jesus' kingdom. To live in holiness and righteousness means that you are to live, to work, and to fight for justice, for peace, for equity, for all people, and for the glory of Christ in a way that is so distinct and compelling to a world that is lost in darkness. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, this invitation is still extended to you to live in the light, to come out of the darkness of shame and sin and guilt and death, to respond to the invitation to live in light of the fact that Jesus is the light who has come to shine into your life to find forgiveness from sins, to walk in newness of life, to be delivered and come out of the shadow of shame and death and find that resurrection power is offered for those who walk in the light of Jesus. And so for all of us, regardless of where you find yourself in the religious spectrum, the journey of faith, 
all of us are called and invited to walk in the light, but we will never find the light that compelling if we don't first understand the darkness that is in us and among us. This song that Zechariah is singing is a song that you can sing as well, a song that you can sing with freshness and with joy, a song that tells you that God's mercy has been extended to you in such a way that you can be forgiven and redeemed, and his grace has been extended to you in such a way that he will lead you and guide you throughout your life. And so friends, yes, I mean, this is where probably all of us agree there is a darkness in our world. We all know and feel the sense that the world is not the way it ought to be. There is indeed a darkness around us. But what the song of Christmas so beautifully, powerfully, and brightly tells us is that there is also indeed a light that has come to push back this darkness. And that light is Jesus. The only one who can do anything about the darkness that we inhabit, the darkness that has wounded us, and the darkness that we wield, as Tish Warren said. The light of Jesus is the only thing that will push back the darkness. The question for us is, will we remain in darkness or will we walk in the light? And that is a question for all of us to respond to. And and so in light of that, I I think it's appropriate for us to respond. I don't think we can hear these words without responding. And I think it would be appropriate for us as we enter into Advent, to continue to enter into Advent, to practice lamenting together. And so what I'd love to do is to pray for us, but I'd love to pray a prayer of lament together. And you'll see some prompts on the screen. I'll I'll lead us in the leader part, and then where it says all, we'll say that together. But I think it's appropriate, appropriate for us Before we rush too quickly to enjoy the light of Jesus, we must sit in the darkness and understand what we've been rescued from. And for some of us, it's what you still need to be rescued from. So let's take a moment together and pray this prayer of lament. And you'll see the prompts on the screen. O God of love, open our eyes to see the suffering of all our sisters and brothers. May we have eyes to see. O God of justice, open our ears to hear those who cry out. May we have ears to hear. O God of healing, open our hearts for us to share our own pain. May we bear our burdens together. O God of compassion, open our lips to speak on behalf of those who suffer. May we speak words of truth and love. O God of suffering, show us how to weep with those who weep. May we share in the tears of others. And O God of light, shine forth your love and power into our dark world. May we see and walk in the light of Christ. Lord Jesus, that is our prayer. That you would, by the power of your spirit, as you did through Zechariah, awaken us to the darkness that is in us and among us, so that we might understand and live more fully and brilliantly in the light of Jesus, who has come to rescue us, that through his tender mercy we can be forgiven and made new. So Lord Jesus, would you do that for us? May we seek to walk in the light, and would you bring those who are in darkness into the light, that they might find new life in you? Would you do this for our good and for your glory? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.